This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. This is the Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast Network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. Someone wrote a novel here the other day. She liked to send me this. She's like, send me her book. She's like, I'm writing a violin. You know, it's like, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. It's really, really rewarding for me to like have created a space that people like want to come to and do that. And I love it. And people are like, oh, they've been sitting there for like four hours and had a coffee. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This past Christmas, I received a special gift from my mom, a tall ceramic Quaker Oats container. It was already mine. It had been since 1977. But my mom had been keeping it for me. It's been 40 years, and it was time to pass it on. I unwrapped it, lifted the lid, and it all came back. The chocolate brown and avocado green kitchen. My baby sister crawling out of the Lazy Susan up and over the cans of soup wearing nothing but a diaper. The heat outside and the lizards that lived in the plants on the edge of the patio. John Denver playing on the record player, my older sister wanting to hear Donnie and Marie. The mailman delivering the mail, the feeling of not being special, of being a middle kid, wanting attention and desperately wanting mail. I was four and a half and we were living in Jackson, Mississippi. One day my mom sat me on her lap at the kitchen table. I remember her hair tickling my face as she leaned over me to fill out a form. Lindsay Cameron, she wrote in block letters. Then she wrote our address. She was mailing away for a ceramic container where we could keep our oats, she explained to me. The mailman would bring it and it would be just for me. Then I could help her make oatmeal cookies. The cookies she served in a little brown wooden bowl the ones with coconut in them. The mail-in form must have come from a bag of oats. A mail-in treat for adults, I suppose. Not the fun stuff on the back of the honeycomb box. But somehow my mom made a ceramic jar enticing. And sure enough, one day, the package arrived. I don't remember answering the door or unpacking it, but I do remember sliding it across the counter so it sat next to the electric autumn sunrise can opener. My grown-up container for oats. My mother knew I needed something just for me, and in doing so, she let me into her space, her 70s kitchen, the place where little girls were already getting in the way. But she let us in. She let me in. Today on the Food Podcast, we talk to Claire Patak, a Californian-born chef, food writer, columnist, podcaster, collaborator, and owner of Violet Bakery in London. We chat about her childhood in the kitchen and working at Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California, moving to London and launching a business. Being a working mom is folded in, along with notes on style and seasonal baking. It's a rich chat, full of truth, giggles, and delicious date and buckwheat scones, today on The Food Podcast. Welcome 
Violet Bakery is on Wilton Way in Hackney, East London. Wilton Way is a residential leafy street, as they say in London, lined with row houses. But Violet, it's different. It's a stucco, rectangular building with square windows. It has more of a Californian vibe than English. But that makes sense. Claire is from California. When I arrive, the awning is up and the outside tables are tucked away. It's a damp November morning, 8 a.m., and the street is just waking up. I step inside and there is Claire, stirring her coffee, standing at an old glass display counter that's full of cakes. She greets me like an old friend, which is so kind because we've never met in real life. I order a coffee and a scone topped with sticky dates and follow her upstairs where there are a few tables to work and eat and linger. This is also where Claire hosts events, from workshops to dinner clubs to private parties. I stop and breathe it all in. It's a familiar aroma. It's my first time at Violet, but I've been baking from the Violet cookbook obsessively ever since my chef friend Dennis Johnson dropped the book through my mail slot, carefully wrapped in plastic wrap, as if it was a precious ingredient. I also know the sound and feel of the space from Claire's podcast, Violet Sessions, that she also records up here. The espresso machine rattle, people chatting, cups clinking in the background. I balance my travel microphone on the top of a napkin dispenser. You'll hear bakery sounds in this recording, casual chatting, me interrupting. After a little chat and me gushing over her amazing Celine handbag, I start the conversation with a topic I'm fascinated by, female collaboration. It's something I've noticed she does so well. She owns Violet alone, but there's the podcast she used to co-host with Danielle Radoichen and the ongoing collaboration with photographer Kristen Perreres. But as it turns out, collaboration is a relatively new thing for Claire. I was actually really um, cautious about going into business with another person because mm. my very first job was at a bakery in Point Reyes, California, called the Bovine Bakery, which is still there, and it's such a great place. And they, I was like 15, I think, and I like knocked on the door before they'd even opened the doors. I was like, I want to work here. You know, when are you opening? And they're like, Well, in a month. And how old are you? <laughs> um, and then they sort of were like, Well, you can like, you know, I had a worker's permit, you know, and they were like, Well, you can serve the customers, the pastries and stuff, and then. We'll see how it goes, you know, kind of like being really nice. And then, but I worked my way into the into the kitchen. But there was uh, these two women that were great friends, and they started this business together. And their husbands are actually in business together. And it very sadly ended really acrimoniously. And they divided up the business. And I think like so from the early age of like fifteen, I witnessed like what could go wrong in a partnership. And I was really like. Yeah, I was just like really impressed, like it left an impression. So I basically thought, I don't want to do that, I don't want to end up like that, so I'm going to do it myself. And, you know, and also because I have a very strong vision and opinions, <laughs> so I thought, I could see how it could actually not go that well if I... <laughs> so yeah, I did it all myself, and then um, that was, that's, that's fine, but then you get to a certain point where you actually would really love to work with other people and collaborate with other people and I and I sort of grew up a bit and thought I can be professional and handle you know those kinds of situations in a different way 
if that was the issue, and instead of having like fear of it, just kind of working through it and talking to lots of friends who are in business with partnerships and things like that, and just having contracts and stuff like that. But it's, it's a really nice way to work with people without like that kind of contract level of, of commitment where, yeah, you're collaborating with other creative people and um, Kristen Prayers is one of my big you know, co-collaborators. So I was going to ask about Yeah. So she photographed my cookbook, and then she um, and I started a lens and larder. Oh, my God, sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> we took the lens and larder. Um, we took the lens and larder workshop together. Okay, quick explanation. Claire is referring to... Kleena Prendergast. Eman McDonald. Kleena is a chef, writer, and film producer. Eamon is an American cookbook author, producer, and blogger, and she's married to an Irish dairy farmer. Together they form Lens and Larder, where they host food photography and storytelling workshops throughout Ireland. I met them in Ireland at LitFest in the spring of 2017, and they are great collaborators. Okay, back to Claire. We had already been really wanting to do our own workshop, um, Violet in the Vicarage, and but we took that together in Ireland, and we had such an amazing time, and we decided to do something in the same sort of idea, but different, um, here in London. Claire and Kristen Perreres call their collaboration Violet and the Vicarage. They host food photography workshops at Kristen Prayer's studio, but they also just get together to photograph Claire's food, inspired by what's in season, and to keep their creative juices flowing. If you follow Violet and the Vicarage on Instagram or Kristen Perreres, you know all about this studio. It was her flat, actually. Um, she lived there for 10 years. Now it's her studio. She lives um, elsewhere. It's a beautiful space on Columbia Road, which is like the flower market street, as you would know. And it's filled with light. It sort of has windows on three, three walls are just it's on the corner in that really kind of amazing Dickensian little neighborhood. <laughs> so it's very charming. Um, and they call it the Flower Factory. And she uses it for shoots, but also does a lot of her own work there and painting there. So we go in there together and cook and take photos. I'm asking about collaboration mainly because I love it and I miss it. I co-authored a series of cookbooks with my New Zealand friend Pippa Cuthbert, who I met working at Books for Cooks in Notting Hill. After we wrote each book, we'd get together at a studio in Camden Market to cook and style the food for photography. We lay props, plates, bowls, platters, cutlery and fabrics on a long table. And our photographer, Stuart, hung out at the top of a ladder, weighing in on what we put before him to photograph. Music filled the space, and the creative energy in the studio was tangible. We were creating something that was way more than the sum of the parts. I asked Claire what happens when she and Kristen get together. Well, I think the main thing that's really great is that there's an incredible amount of trust there. So I really trust her. I, tr- I trust that she has, she is a visionary. I mean, she's, she's had sort of like 10 different careers. I mean, she's such an amazing woman anyway. And then I really love the way she sees um, the food that I make. And she always kind of adds something to it. And you can get really focused on, you know, especially with baking, making sure that something's turned out a certain way that's going to hold up, that's going to slice right, that it's going to like crumble right or whatever it is. And that can take a lot of the energy and then you sort of forget to look around you 
at the beauty that's just there. And so she will come in and see the beauty that's like all around the thing that I'm thinking isn't quite turning out the way I want it to. It's really nice. So she sort of helps me loosen up and I help her, um, I guess, I give her like a subject matter to kind of get excited about. So we, we also share a similar kind of aesthetic um, but also both bring something different so it doesn't stay too same-same. Yeah. When Pippa and I were working together at Books for Cooks, I think subconsciously we were able to assess the compatibility factor of what collaboration would be like as we worked together in the shop. I asked Claire how she met Kristen. She bought cupcakes from me on my stall sort of 12 years ago, and then actually we made the cupcakes for her wedding, which was quite sweet. Yeah, her son, her son Ben, who is... Um, a little entrepreneur himself who's starting a, a chicken wings business. <laughs> He's so great. And he was the one. He would like, they'd go swimming at the Lido. They'd walk from the flower factory up through Broadway Market and go swimming at the Lido and his treat would be to get cupcakes on the way back. <laughs> That's how we met. And then and then I pursued um, her hot pursuit to get her to do my book. And she did it. So then, yeah, so that's been about uh, three years of working together. Okay, back to Ireland for just a second. Listen to how Eamon and Kliana met. Well, we we met that time on Eamon's farm. So we had been in contact because we had both been doing a bit of film. um, And we were both interested in food, obviously, and photography. And I was doing a program called Breaking Eggs, um, which I produced just to really get parents interested in showing kids food and every aspect of food. And I wrote to him and asked her if she would um, do a program with us. And she convinced us to bring our best cow into a field in the middle of nowhere on the farm and milk it by hand. We met in a field milking cows. Well, I guess you just never know where you're going to meet a collaborator. Clearly, just be open and trust. Claire's life plan wasn't always to open a bakery. She went to film school in California, but kept finding herself back in the kitchen, which led to a job in the pastry department at Alice Waters Chez Panisse. I think she must have killed it while working there. Alice Waters wrote the intro to her cookbook. Here's a taste. When Claire came to me many years ago and told me she'd be leaving Chez Panisse to move to England, I had a whole landscape of feelings. Sadness, of course, to be losing her wonderful spirit and talent, and a touch of jealousy that London would be gaining it. Tremendous curiosity to see what she would do next, and a confidence that whatever she might choose to do or make, it would be beautiful. Her nuanced approach to season and place, sweet and savory, flavor and health, it's what makes this book so special. Nuanced approach to season and place, that is spot on Alice Waters. Claire's friend and fellow food writer, Anna Jones, once asked Claire in an interview, what sets an amazing cake or dish apart from a good one? Claire replied, when the cook understands exactly where they are in the world, at that particular time of the year, and makes the most of that moment, that's what sets food apart. I imagine Claire garnered this wisdom while running a market stall in London for five years before she even opened the bakery. Talking to locals and getting to know their likes and dislikes and following the seasons and flavors. It turns out to be the best way to connect with a place. And it's not easy. The London palette is different from the Northern Californian and the people, well, they're harder to get to know. 
Absolutely. No, you're so right because um, because similarly, I came from California where people are super open and really friendly, and like it's so easy to meet people. And I found it really cold, like literally and figuratively here. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but having a market stall was really fantastic because actually, I saw a really different side to um, sort of. English people because they were really open at the market. They would tell me what they liked, they'd tell me what they didn't like. Um, yeah, and so it was incredible research for opening up a cafe and like kind of knowing, you know, that um, one thing worked and one thing didn't work and why? Because the palettes are so different here. So people have different tastes than they had in California. For example, Claire wants to put fruit in her cakes, fresh herbs grown on the patio in her quick jams, and infuse custards with forage fig leaves from the local council estate, while her English husband prefers toffee, salted caramel, and vanilla custards. As a Canadian, as always, I fall somewhere in the middle. And I really was able to learn all that and engage and meet these really lovely people every week. And yeah, I made so many friends there, actually. Most of my friends. For five years, I stood out there. (laughs) And then I stopped doing it once we opened the bakery, um, because I was here. But um, yeah, it's true. It's true. And then everyone's like, we don't see you anymore. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. Yay. Not that I didn't see them, but that I don't have to be standing But the market stall didn't happen right away. When Claire first arrived in London, she did stages at her favorite restaurants. She worked as a food stylist with Jamie Oliver's team and freelanced on her own. But food styling is a different game. Food is designed to look its best, not taste its best. In the introduction of her cookbook, Claire writes that the cook in her couldn't bear to leave out the salt, and the Californian in her couldn't stand all the food waste. So she shifted to styling for chefs like Otto Lange and Simon Hopkinson, cooks that sat down and ate their delicious food after it was photographed. Claire was finding her people. All that while she was plotting to open her own market stall. I ask how it came about in the midst of it all. It took me three months to get the market stall. I think now it takes, it's quite difficult. It's pretty competitive. But there's so many more markets that you can probably get into other markets. But um, it took me three months just to get the stall and get all the paperwork that I needed and licenses and then all the equipment. And then I had to show up at um, like 7.38 every Saturday morning after baking all night long on Friday. <laughs> And then set this up in, like, rain or shine or, like, snow. I mean, it did snow a few times, too. Like, it was very cool. And then you just have to be there. You have to, like, sell your wares and be, like, excited about it. And then, really, you're there until 4 o'clock, and then you start packing up. And it's really hard when you haven't sold everything because you're like, you just look at all the <laughs> waste of effort, you know. But um, well, sometimes you'd sell out and it was incredibly rewarding. And it's really, even if it's not super cold, there's, it's windy. You're outside all day, you know. And like, I remember every um, Saturday we'd go to the pub afterwards to like warm up and have a drink. And my face would go like, the red of that woman's sweater sitting over there. 
Christmas wrap, like blue, red, 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 from the windburn. And I'd be like, oh, market face is set again, you know? It was like brutal. And then, you know, you'd have like a glass of wine, get some like chips or something, and then you'd like drive all the stuff back, unload everything, do the whole thing, and then just like start again. It's crazy. Claire did this for five years. I wonder if most young bakers have the chops to have market face for five years straight. Where does that tenacity come from? Well, I forgot to ask that. I was too distracted by all the other things she had to say, the perfect coffee in the little glass cup, and that scone top with sticky dates, and Sharon Van Etten's song, Every Time the Sun Comes Up, I Feel Trouble Coming Through the Speakers. I love that song. Maybe the tenacity comes from a true passion for baking, truly loving time in the kitchen, and finding solace there. And as it turns out, it's also about finding order in her life. I learned this and totally connected with the concept while listening to Claire's podcast, Violet Sessions, where she's chatting with renowned British psychotherapist Julia Samuels. And I think often you give to others what you most want for yourself. I think if you talk to someone about like you making cakes. Yes. If you look at the motivation, probably what you're doing is something about you. It isn't necessarily because you want to see someone chewing a cake. It does something <laughs> for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, no, it's a, it's a satisfying satisfaction that I'm looking for. Um, yeah. Come in, on, it's more than that. <laughs> back in the hot seat. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... Um, it's not just about baking a cake. I mean, it's it's about... For me, actually, the reason why I fell in love with baking was just because it was such an instant gratification. It was to have chaos into something beautiful and, and, and fixed and, you know, completed within an hour. Uh, it's very satisfying. So, yeah. So often as a... I mean, as a therapist, that would be... You know, your, if your internal world feels kind of unknown and yes. messy yes. and kind of unknowable, yes. putting sugar and flour... She's and good, everyone. She's good. Butter and all those extra eggs together yes. and finding it makes a beautiful cake, you kind of feel you can find some kind of, not perfection, but beauty, beauty which is closure. often what you don't feel about yourself. Absolutely, yeah. So here I am, baking still at 42. <laughs> I call this baking it out. I do it. Claire does it. I think many women do. Claire says it's a theme she's been talking about a lot lately with friends and in upcoming episodes of Violet Sessions. I definitely was in the kitchen from a very young age. And I had um, my mom, it was really cool. And actually, my mom and I were talking about this recently because I was remembering, I grew up with a very controlling mom who now is like very... Um, head trunk and totally doesn't do that anymore <laughs> it's really funny she's so cool she's like constantly evolving and she she's to really like wanted to make sure everything was a certain way but she in the kitchen she let us make these experiment cakes and she let us just like throw all kinds of crazy stuff into a bowl and mix it up and then she'd like bake it off and you know and it was disgusting but she was still like and then, you know you know yeah really cool um, so actually, she let us be really loose in the kitchen, so that's cool. But I think I, I definitely it was like a, a hobby for me every day, like almost every day after school. Like I'd want to make something when I got home. Yeah. So I must have found, yeah, I must have found a lot of um, comfort in that. 
This, of course, reminds me of my mother, that Quaker Oats container and the invitation into the kitchen. I made so many cakes and cookies in her various kitchens, and she always let me in. I also remember my mother used to drop the word entropy around when she'd stop to regard the mess in her life, the result of four daughters. Google says entropy means the degradation of the matter and energy in the universe to an ultimate state of inert uniformity. But in a general sense, it's the trend for the universe to pull towards disorder. The way a tidy house naturally moves towards untidiness, the way a made bed will eventually be unmade. She said that when you choose to embrace that the kitchen will get dirty, just as it gets clean, life gets easier. Letting kids in and letting go. This applies to so many other chapters of our lives as well. Claire tells me then about the day before, how she and her husband took their little daughter Frances out for a long afternoon lunch, something she had been scared to do before. Oh my God, that was so crazy. I actually had a really, really amazing, great experience with her yesterday. So I took her to the River Cafe and... For those of you who don't know, the River Cafe, it's like, um, it's just had its 30th birthday, and it's kind of like on a par with Chez Panisse in terms of its reputation here in the UK, and it's this like incredible, beautiful Italian restaurant in a Richard Rogers design space, so it's like incredibly architecturally fascinating and beautiful, and all the servers wear these like really bold, like solid colors, and it's not a uniform, but it's like... There's a guideline, and they just look amazing. It's so cool. And the food is just exceptional. And Ruthie, who, Ruthie Rogers, who is, was a co-founder with Rose Gray, who passed away, sadly, a couple years ago, um, was chefing yesterday. Like, she was just there chefing. I need to get her on, on my podcast for sure. Yeah, she's so incredible. Um, but she just has always, there's always been children in that space. And there's always been like, like when we got there, there were these kids like behind where she was working, like that she was sort of like talking to, you know, like the children of, of customers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, like, I know this is going to be challenging, like for sure, because Francis is full of energy and it's like, <laughs> you took her up on the way there because of the drive, unfortunately. <laughs> Like, don't fall asleep. Oh no. Okay. So she had like a moment or two, but they were like, Do you want to take her up into the office? Like, you can run her, she didn't run around outside. And then we ended up like running her around outside. And then we sort of went in and out a couple times and like had the starters and had the, um, like the pasta. And then she ran enough that she was tired and we went inside. She was starving. And the mains came. And it was like she could have stopped. Start to chop it. And there was six of us, seven of us at the table, including her. And she sort of like went around from each person lap to lap to lap. And they were also like impressed with her palette. And like it was really fun. And I just thought, you know, it's really good to stick it out and like expose her to that and to all the adults. And like she was just being adored. And I that she had such a great time. So it was really cool because I was definitely tempted to like bail halfway through. I think having kids at the table is so important. You know? You're tempted to like be like, here's your meal, okay, good night. Yep, it's going to be messy, but heck, we just have to let the kids in like our mothers did. If nothing else, so we can eat the oatmeal cookies, or better yet, eat at the River Cafe. When Claire and I spoke, Violet was gearing up for winter. Candied citrus and coconut sprinkled on snowy white icing. 
I ask her what she's most excited about on the menu, and her face lights up. Well, we just got we just got some of our favorite citrus in. Actually, um, we have a wonderful company that we work with, Natura, and they import a lot of amazing uh, citrus from Italy and Spain. And we get Cedro, which is like citron, or this thing called, uh, what's it called? It's basically like one of the citrus with like this huge lemon, is what it looks like. And the, the skin is um, like an inch and a half thick. And the fruit inside is very, very small. Um, but it's beautiful for candying and for zest. Um, we get like bergamot lemons. We get um, these green mandarins, which are this really beautiful mandarin flavor that you, it's like, it tastes like candies. It's incredible. You can't really eat the fruit, but you can use the peel. We can do that to put into all of our Christmas cakes and put into things. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're like right in the in the middle of that. And then coconut is just my favorite. <laughs> so yeah, that's all the menu too. Violet has an old oven from the 1940s with a vintage Hobart mixer to match. I ask if this use-what-you-have frugal mentality stretches into the baking as well. No, I, 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 I'm not very frugal at all. <laughs> I find a way, but that's with ingredients that I'm talking. It's like I really want the best, 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 best. So I'd rather like buy the vanilla beans that are like five pounds each and then not fix my oven that we have, which is literally from like the 1940s. It's bad. We need to get some new oven actually, so. I gotta, like, I don't know, cut back on the fancy fruit. The space is filling up around us. People are working on laptops, some writing in journals. I see fat cinnamon rolls dipped in sugar, rustic chocolate, oat, and agave cookies. A big bouquet of dried branches sits on an old dresser. Magazines and newspapers are there, encouraging people to linger. If you scroll through the Violet Cakes London Instagram account, there's a recent picture of the bakery. And if you look carefully, you can see a man's head upstairs in the window. The caption reads, Favorite customer photo of the year. My bakery, pink and white, with a wildflower bursting from the roof. And a writer composing upstairs, fueled by cinnamon buns and Americanos. We have like an amazing group of people that come and work here every day and create like incredible um, screenplays and novels. Someone wrote a novel here the other day. She like sent me this. She's like sent me her book. She's like, I wrote it in a pilot. You know, it's like it's really cool. It's really really cool. It's really really rewarding for me to like have created a space that people like want to come to and do that. And I love it. And people are like, oh, they've been sitting there for like four hours and had a coffee. And I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> They're like doing something greater. It's okay, you know. Um, obviously, for super busy, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I do need to make money, but um, but I like it. I, I think it's really great. I'm thinking about Simon Sinek's TED Talk, the one where he explains the importance of knowing the why behind what we do, because having a strong why allows everything else to fall into place. Why does Claire Patak have Violet? So people have a space to make their art while being fueled by cinnamon buns and Americanos. So people can host healing workshops for local women or cast parties when a film wraps. So she can find order in the disorder by making something beautiful, something she can share with the rest of us. I wish Violet had been here when I lived in London. I was just a 10-minute walk away. I would have been that person in the window upstairs, writing or reading all the magazines, overstaying my welcome, because I knew that would be A-OK. 
Thanks to Claire Patak for the coffee, the warm scones, and for creating all things Violet. You can find more about Claire, her podcast, her cakes, her writing, and her cookbook at violetcakes.com or on Instagram at violetcakeslondon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Food Podcast. And please sign up for my newsletter where I'll keep you up to date on podcast news and recipes and embarrassing stories. You can sign up at lindsaycameronwilson.ca. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 